0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 46
1: this is writing excuses editing with aaron rudell 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry
0: and we're not that smart
1: i'm brandon i'm I'm mary (laughs) stepping on mary's lines Mm. uh when dan's not here we all fall apart we are again at gen con and we would like to welcome aaron rudell who is the publications manager what I would call the editor, but of um, uh, uh, the the privateer press. Press. I knew that. Sorry. I almost said um, Paizo again. So sorry. Uh, Privateer press. Sorry. So tell us what your actual job, like what does publications manager mean? Uh,
2: It's probably, most people would probably consider it editor-in-chief. That's probably the closest thing. But. uh, my, I run uh, Skull Island Expeditions, which is our digital fiction imprint. Right. Um, I go out and acquire authors, mm-hmm. um, do initial manuscript reviews, um, basically walk a book from cradle to grave.
1: I hear that one of your authors is very bald and very on our podcast all the time. Uh, that, is, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it's
3: it's true. And and in fact, uh, I am a uh, I am a hardcore Privateer Press fanboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got the opportunity to write for Privateer Press, very very excited. Um, and when Aaron, uh, there was you know there was some editorial handoff there, um, and at one point Aaron asked me, so you know what. What is your experience with our stuff? And I listed the number of books that I had of theirs, you know, the War Machine books that are in my library, and then mentioned that I've got about five hundred of the models, but only a couple hundred of them are painted. And what what was your reaction? Uh, well, stunned silence at
2: first, but um, yeah, it was uh, yeah. I, I you know I do assume you'd had a little experience, yeah. So. But no, that was actually quite, it was great to hear because uh, and then, uh, you know, I would expect less errors, less continuity errors from You the, would have uh, expected yeah. less errors. I was going to say, yeah. you would expect. <laughs> that is,
1: in fact, not what happened. Well, you know what? And I, we're
3: not
0: that smart.
1: Yeah, we're not that smart. <laughs> you would think having read The Wheel of Time 11 times, I would be able to not have continuity errors in what I did. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk editing with you, but first I want to ask you the question I ask most editors, um, which is, uh, you know, Advice for new writers: What draws you to a writer's piece? These sorts of things that our our, re, our listeners want to hear, um, and I'm not sure. You know, it's a hard question. I understand sure. what you're looking for is awesome stuff, but yeah. can you give any pointers or and talk about what draws you to a piece?
2: Well, I can give specific pointers to our market, uh, which yeah. is um, you know, specifically game fiction and uh, you know setting our our own setting. So for people you know who want to write for you know Gravity Press or Wizards of the Coast or Paizo. Um, it's really important to know those worlds, and a lot of times we get, uh, you know, if we get submissions, it'll be someone who, who has, is not familiar with, with right. uh, the Iron Kingdoms, which is uh, right. our, our world. So uh, I would say if you want to write that kind of fiction, um, get to know those worlds and, and get to know them intimately um, because it makes an editor's job, my, uh, like myself, uh, a lot easier um, if you know the world. You know, now, I'm,
1: you're doing digital um, originals right now. Right now. Are sure. you doing these in anthologies or as standalones?
2: Both. Um, okay. We do have, um, we do have some, some books that will be uh, mm-hmm. series, like uh, Howard's uh, Extraordinary Zoology. Yeah, Extraordinary Zoology right. is the yeah. title I did, which is right. available as a standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, Tales from the Monsteronomicon is right. the, uh, the series. Right. Okay. And, and how long are these pieces? Um, we do novellas and novels. Okay. Um, so uh, novellas are usually thirty, forty thousand, and our uh, words, and our novels are you know between seventy-five and ninety.
0: And you said that you had some that were standalone and some that were.
2: Yeah, we have. We actually have a couple of series: um, the Warcaster Chronicles and the Warlock Sagas, which are um, novellas primarily about our uh, established characters, and uh, those are basically standalone. Uh, pieces.
0: What makes you decide that you need a standalone piece about one of the established characters?
2: Um, well, it, it depends. I mean, the, the popularity of the character mm-hmm. on the tabletop um, and with, with, our, uh, with our audience. Um, and uh, we typically like to do um, our, our series with the new characters.
1: So what's the submission process like for you? Do you have open submissions? Is it invitation only? We
2: are startup at the moment, so um, it is uh, invitation only. Um, we are looking at opening to, uh, to submissions. Okay, at some
1: so it, sometime in the future you will be opening to submissions. At some point, yeah. um, And that information will be available online, I'm sure. Correct. Um, right now it's invitation only. Yes. Um, I've, I've heard, you know, just to talk about this concept with other... Um, gaming tie-in uh, pieces a lot of times the people end up writing for wizards um, and and whatnot there's an invitation to an anthology that happens I don't know if you guys will end up doing this, but for, for the listeners you watch for these anthology invitations, you write a story, send to the anthology when you get picked up in the anthology that means they like your writing, at that point they might come to you and say okay we need a novella or a novel about this character would you be interested in, in go that far? So I know for Wizards of the Coast, that's a great way to break in, is to watch for the um, the short story anthologies. Um, so all right, let's talk editing. Right? Uh, we get lots of requests from listeners about how to edit um, books. And usually when we have editors on, we talk about breaking into the business. This time I want to talk about the actual editing. I want to talk about what you do to help a writer be better. Um, and hopefully that can help them kind of help use their internal, internal editor in the right way. So my first question to you is, how do you distinguish as an editor between something that is just uh, the writer's style that should be left alone and something that's actually broken?
2: Good question. Um, again, um, because our, our setting is so specific, we're mm-hmm. looking for very, uh, very, sometimes a very specific tone. So a lot of times, you know, um, I'll look at a manuscript and it'll be Perfectly fine if it was mm-hmm. going to be an, uh, an original novel, but it doesn't quite fit our setting. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, mm-hmm. to kind of quantify that.
1: Uh, how about the rest of you guys? Like, when you read someone's work, I read a lot of my students' work, and it's one of the difficulties for me is saying, okay, this is what they're trying to do. Yeah. And they're doing it well, I just don't like it. I, I had the <laughs> opportunity.
3: I had, the, I had the opportunity to uh, pre-read, but before Aaron ever mm-hmm. saw them, uh, uh, Dan Wells' privateer press title, uh-huh. uh, which was called Butcher, and uh, Larry Korea's first privateer press title, which was, uh, what was the Makeda book called? Oh, uh, Instruments of War. Instruments of War. And um, okay, as a hardcore privateer press fanboy, I read these and was immediately thrilled that these characters were being fleshed out, but there were things that jumped out at me as being uh, Dan's or Larry's invention where the War Machine books, you know, the existing canon, didn't tell us how, for instance, jack marshalling worked, or how you know, the scorn did certain things. Um, now, I'm a fan of both Larry's and Dan's writing, and they're, you know, they're really solid writers, but I could tell, even from the outside, I could tell that there were things that were gonna have to be fixed. And I remember Dan uh, emailing me and saying, ah, darn it, I really wanted them to keep this bit, but it had to go. I don't remember mm-hmm. what the bit was. but uh...
2: No, that's definitely something we run into, um, you know, with, with something that doesn't fit our continuity. Right. And, I mean, I, I run into something that I just love, you know, I mean, a, a character or, or the presentation of a character, and it just doesn't fit our setting. And or it's... it doesn't fit the tone. Or it doesn't fit the tone, yeah, like, exactly. I would
1: think that some sort of very introspective literary piece is just not what your readers are going to. They want adventure fiction. And yeah. no how how beautiful the prose styling is, it's not perhaps something that you could release in your line.
2: Yeah, that's exactly
1: right.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it gets back to the, the thing we, we often talk about on the podcast, which is the promise that is made to the reader. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when, when a reader is coming to something like Privateer Press, there, there's an expectation of this is the experience I'm going to have. And if it doesn't meet that experience, if it doesn't fit within that that loose area, then they're going to be disappointed in it, no matter how well written it is. I had that
3: exact experience with uh, Scott Taylor, who was the the first editor I worked with, um, with, Skull Island, with Skull Island Expeditions, which is the imprint. Uh, Scott said, "Hey, you know, this first act is great, but this is adventure fiction. We need something to explode right about here." <laughs> and I no, and I I looked at it, I thought, well, but the Plot that I've got doesn't require anything to explode. He says, "Well, you know, it can be accidental, and it can serve more than one purpose. You know, and so what we ended up with was a scene in which uh, our protagonist uh, is faced with uh, an accident, and we get to see him uh, being weak and being clumsy and being outstripped by this person who he doesn't realize he's hiring, but he's accidentally hiring." And it served double duty. And as I bounced that scene off of Scott a couple of times, I realized, oh, you've helped me write a better story, you editor, you. (laughs) Um, And it was a lot of fun. You understand, coming from the webcomics world, this was my first experience with an outside editor who had any sort of control over my content. Um, And I was willing going into it. And this is the thing that I would recommend to all of you, any of you who want to write this, Um, humility, humility, humility. When you're working in someone else's setting, be willing to change. Don't be married to any of the things that you've put in that book unless you have moral objections, and then it's just time to write for somebody else.
1: Let's go ahead and do our Book of the Week. Mary, you have our Book of the Week.
0: Yes, this is The Blade Itself, uh, The First Law, Book One, by Joe Abercrombie. And I'm listening to this. It's narrated brilliantly by Stephen Pacey. This this is... um stunning epic adventure and it's gritty and just beautifully let me just say this again beautifully beautifully narrated um, beautifully
1: narrated mm.
0: highly recommend this book and really i'm going to be going out and picking up more things by both joe and and things that are narrated by stephen pacey
1: uh, is joe the one that online that is um adopted the the boniker lord grimdark is that joe abercrombie I don't know. Joe was. Yes, says yes, yes, yes. yes. yes.
0: Jo- Joe was um, in the same Campbell classes, uh-huh. and uh, and I don't know. I'm reading this book, and I'm like, why did he not get the tiara? <laughs> 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 I try. have no complaint. What, what was
3: the title again? I know that it's Mary. <laughs> I know that it's beautifully, beautifully narrated. The,
0: the, um, the blade itself.
3: The blade itself. So head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Pick up a copy of The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie and uh, start a 30-day free trial. And if I can put in a plug on behalf of uh, Aaron, our guest, it is entirely possible that you'll find some privateer press titles out there on Audible before too much longer. And so
1: surf around for those as well. Yep, we don't know when, which is why we can't promo them now, but they might be there eventually. Mary, should we put a slight content warning on The Blade Itself?
0: Yeah, you know, there's some death and some other things that are not as pleasant. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that pause was awesome some things
3: some things that are
1: not as pleasant
3: as death
1: well played well played <laughs> all right so Aaron, um let's talk about the, ed- the the writers that send you their work um and you like it but it's time to to edit it yep. it's time for them to make it better let's not talk about continuity things right now um, what do you notice in writers? Have you noticed any sort of trends there? They need the most help on. Is it endings? Is it characters? Is it you know weaving
2: threads of different um, viewpoints, or is it just all over the place? Is there ever a trend? Um, you know, I really haven't noticed mm-hmm. any trends. It seems to be very, very individual. Um, uh, endings. I, I, mm-hmm. If I had a you know, gun to the head, you know, pick a trend. Um, <laughs> How probably that because I have away. trouble with endings. But. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it was more pleasant than death. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Are
1: there, is there anything specific you do to kind of encourage the writer without just fixing it for them?
2: Sure. Um, and uh, like I said, I do the initial reviews. Um, mm-hmm. We have a, an editorial manager, Darla Kennerud, who's fantastic. And a lot of times, um, I'll review this, I'll review a story, and mm-hmm. I'll get to that point. I'm like, I can't quite. Get there. I know there's something. I know mm. there's there's something wrong. And then I can go to her because she's much smarter than I am, and um, and she'll typically uh, you know help me. I work work through it. Um, but uh, we definitely like to let the authors give the authors uh, advice and let and let them revise, mm. let them fix. So we don't like to take a really heavy hand. And uh, you know the best themselves.
1: editors I've had, and I've had I've gotten really lucky with editors. That's kind of what they do. Um, the editor's job is actually to say this is broken. Um, And you would think that that's an easy job, but it's not, because most of the time when readers read your work, they're like, something's broken. And then they'll say, I think it's this, and it's never that. Yeah. And it's never the thing that they think, that they're like, I think it's this, it might be this, it's not that one either. And the editors I've had can say, it's this, now fix it. Um, and they don't necessarily tell me how. They might kind of give some nudging and things like this. And this is a really important skill that I've noticed in editors.
0: Yeah. The, the analogy that I use sometimes is that it's, um, I think I may have used this on the podcast before. It's, it's like when you're talking to a doctor that the manuscript, you've got this perfect story in your head. And the manuscript is the tool that you're using to try to create this emotional response in your reader's head. And it's like, it's like telepathy on paper. And so you are the trial doctor going to your test subjects. And the editor is someone who is helping you participate in the trials. And so you go to the reader and they can give you the symptoms. This is the thing I'm experiencing. But when they try to diagnose, they're totally wrong. Yeah. And an editor can diagnose. And then sometimes you'll also have an editor who can give you the prescription as well. Yeah. You know, this is what is wrong with it. And these are the symptoms, you know, and because of that, you could try this to fix it.
1: Aaron, any suggestions on kind of cultivating that editorial sense in someone, a writer who wants to work on their own, or who, someone who wants to help another writer be better? Um, how do you cultivate that sense of nurturing without the heavy hand?
2: Um, it's, uh, I, for, for me, it was reading a lot. Um, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, looking at, um, you know, reading the genre that, I, that I'm editing. Um, and, and that gave me, I think that helped me get a very good sense of of, of um, spotting the issues in, in various manuscripts. But um, I, I think as an editor, I think you, a lot of editors are writers, I think you have to be uh, somewhat empathetic. And uh, whenever I'm reading a manuscript and giving notes, um, I always try to think, how would I feel if I were this writer, you know, and, and what would help me, you know, or, <laughs> but... Um, so I, I think you have to be. I think you have to empathize with the writer. Definitely. All right,
1: I'm going to go ahead and give a writing prompt this time. The writing prompt is Hell's Copy Editor. <laughs> think about that. Take it however you want. <laughs> we want to thank Aaron so much for being on the podcast with us, um, and thank you, audience at Gen Con. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thank you, Pat Rothfuss next door, for having a party and all the all the screaming you hear. Distantly is from his party, um, which is apparently very much fun. Thank you guys for listening. You're out of excuses. Now go right.
2: Yeah.
1: All right.
0: If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long standing and respected website, magazine archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre.